0: Hated, adored, never ignored. So welcome to a new Manchester United podcast, which will hopefully bring back a bit of what being a Man United fan is all about. Hopefully I can bring you a podcast that sort of reminds you, no matter how bad it gets, and it does feel like that at times, no doubt, we still support the greatest club in the world, and there is a lot of pride that comes with it. So um, thanks to everyone who has followed me over from the United podcast on YouTube, and thanks to those who've already shown their support to the idea behind this podcast and also its name. I think it's a tag, hated, adored never ignored, that every fan wears with a bit of a as a badge of honour. We're hated by all clubs, no matter what they say. They all hate us. We ruined many of their childhoods. We are adored by ourselves like no other club. And obviously, combined those two, we're definitely never ignored. We're the most talked about club in the world, and it's not even close. So I want this podcast to be a place for United fans to remember what a great club it is and restore a bit of pride. And look, who my I kidding? I'm sure they're a rival too, especially after this week and the defeat to Fulham. Um, joining us, so um, but there goes the same, never ignored. So um, rivals, definitely more than welcome. So um, firstly, before we get into all things United Fulham, unfortunately, uh, what a disaster that was, just a bit of an explanation as to why I did leave the United podcast on YouTube. I've been listening and sort of been a part of podcasts on YouTube for a few years now, and I feel it's a place that sort of unfortunately facilitates discussions and ideas which probably go against the core values of Man United supporters and probably the way I want to support the club. I was never one to really look at subscribers or views on YouTube, but uh, it was very much a hobby and still is, of course. But like all of us, unfortunately, these days, our brains have been wired to sort of look at these things, right or wrong, but we're all guilty of that, in my opinion, in some way, shape or form. And I just feel to grow on YouTube, the next step is to adopt a style that has sort of those wild takes or over-the-top reactions, try and get something to go viral, have a targeted agenda against a player or a manager. As a person, but probably more importantly, as a Manchester United supporter, that's just not me. And uh, Man United isn't just the 11 players on the pitch. It's everything. It's the football. It's the players. It's the staff. It's the stadium. It's the culture. It's the walk to the ground. It's Cathon reception. It's Lou Macari's fish and chip shop and the fans. So the fans play a huge part, whether we like parts of the fan base or not. Whether we like where the fan base is going in regards to some of the behaviours we see, whether we like it or not, it is a huge part of the story. It's an ever-evolving part of the story. I think YouTube has lessened the value of United fans, though. Um, It hasn't helped the fan base, in my opinion. It's only managed to create a negative image of us. Don't get me wrong, there is potential for good there. And I think there are many great content creators out there. But the way it's playing out and sort of what sells, it just hasn't gone that way. And in regards to the way we sort of consume our football content online, United fans are laughed at for our behaviour, and I believe YouTube is the catalyst for that, in my opinion. Remember how we looked at Arsenal during Arsenal-Wenger's um, final seasons? Um, that's now, unfortunately, us. That, that's how we are looked at. Um, now we know that to be... Now, sort of when we do see that, we sort of understood Arsenal fan TV was sort of a bit of a vocal minority. Um but that image sticks. We all get sort of tarnished with the same brush, and um, yeah, Wenger in, Wenger out. Who can swear the most on a post-match interview? Who can abuse a player enough to get a catchphrase going, etc.? What we tuned in and laughed at er- every week as Man United fans—that's now what rivals are doing to us. We're now the laughing stock of world football, in my opinion, in terms of our behaviour online. It seems any positive opinion for the purposes of any discussion we have needs to be met with a negative. And then that is usually sort of that lasting impression. Let's let's take Scott McTominay. I'm sure those who know me know I'm sort of one of his fans, one of his very few fans probably out there. And let's just say I was on a YouTube show and said, say, Scott McTominay did well today. He came off the bench, scored a good goal, pleased for him. Like it would be pretty much be met unanimously with, yeah, but he's just not good enough. He still has to go. And while these opinions might be valid at times, I'm just tired of not being able to praise a player or praise something without needing to engage in a sort of so-called heated debate let's say Eric Ten Hag made a good change at half-time and I said that was a good sub by the manager, definitely changed the game. Well done, Eric. Instead of just leaving that point there, it would be met with, yeah, but his talent ID sucks and, yeah, he's wasted this much money on this player. Again, there is always room for debate and discussion and to be able to view both sides of that coin. But I feel when something needs to be praised, just praise it without trying to bring someone down. But who knows, maybe that's just sort of where we are as a society on social media. So I want to get back to sort of being proud of my club, which I always am proud, but I feel feel we've lost that a little bit on YouTube and social media. I want to have chats that don't get the views on YouTube. I want to talk about the Busby Babes, the youth team, Old Trafford. Do we revamp it or knock it down and build a new stadium? I want to hear stories from fans and their trips to Old Trafford. I want to look back at the careers of some of my favourite players and moments. I want to talk about the women's team in recent times that probably give me far more of what a Manchester United player should give the fans than half of what the men have, to be fair. I want to talk about issues impacting fans in terms of overseas fans and low-season ticket holders, etc. Those topics are just not compatible with what trends on YouTube. You need a clickbait title on YouTube in terms of Eric Ten Hag's shock transfer confirmed or top five striker the targets revealed. Um, I think those are the types of things that do get to the traction on YouTube and I don't just they're not the discussions for me. At this stage, um, it's all a little bit boring for me. And in my opinion, the more we talk about it, um, the more it feeds the media and the more it ends up sort of weighing negatively on the club, in my opinion. So while criticism, debates and sort of honest opinions will still play a huge part on this podcast, it won't be a show just to shit on players or the manager. When they deserve stick, they'll get it. But there is a growing trend that if you criticize a player, you're kind of put into a category of not liking that player and therefore almost just hammer home that stance no matter what a player does. We all know those big YouTubers have their agendas against players and it's just not right. Of course, we'll all have favourite players. That's only natural. But I feel we've lost the ability to praise a player when they deserve it, if it's someone we don't like, etc. Like Criticising players on YouTube has the ability to kind of, and is, in my opinion, kind of designed to stick a little bit. YouTube has a real trend of trying to catch people out, prove people wrong, shit on other fans, start type of YouTube, Twitter beef, social media beef with another fan, whether it be your own fan base or a rival fan base. I feel an audience for an audio-only podcast is more like that of one with your mates at a pub. You can have the same chat in terms of having an outlandish take or a controversial opinion, but it's kind of left there. You can have the same chat, but it's it's like it stays in the pub, if you know what I mean. It's not content that is designed to go viral or there's no desire for a, a line to sort of start trending worldwide. There's no desire in that in an audio-only podcast. I feel YouTube is almost set up to that. You have that eye-catching image to get people's attention. and Then in terms of them for them to engage in the content, It needs to be a bit of a wild taker otherwise they'll walk away and look for the next sort of funny video or the next compelling video so that's pretty much the reason i have left youtube the way it's designed you can't help but sort of look at views and look at subscribers and it's one of the things i don't really care about but you can't help but think why is this channel on this many why this video get that many views sort of thing and it's just a little bit unfortunately draining that takes away sort of the enjoyment of what manchester united should bring you and um you just ultimately realize what people on that platform do want and they don't want that Discussion which I do um, sort of value as a Manchester United fan. I think an audio only podcast is more suited to the audience I want to engage with. There is a method um, definitely to gain traction on YouTube, and I definitely could go down that path, but that's just not me. Having daily debates about the manager, Eric Ten Hag, in or out, or your top five transfer targets is draining. And I think it feeds the media, as I said, and rivals ultimately um, it weighs on the club. and, And I think fans have a responsibility to the club where we can and um the constant validation of these are sort of silly and stupid rumors uh, in my opinion it just doesn't help the club in my opinion but probably the last reason i sort of decided like definitely sort of confirmed in my own thoughts okay i'm time to leave um, the united podcast and youtube was a couple of weeks ago on the munich anniversary and talking about the busby babes i think a few days before we did um the munich anniversary i think we had a few videos one maybe did a couple of thousand views, maybe 1.5 thousand views and 2 thousand views and we had a little bit of traction and a little bit of momentum, which was all good. Definitely stroke in the ego. We must be doing something well. People are tuning in and enjoying the content. And it came around to the Munich anniversary and I thought, look, I wanted to put something out there on the Busby Babes, talk to me and United fans about it, but I knew deep down no one would tune in. And I just thought that was quite sad in my opinion. I said, well, regardless of if people are going to tune in or not, I want to put it out there and sort of pay my respects. But ultimately, you know, I just knew deep down it was not going to sort of gain traction because no other sort of channels would be doing videos on that. So it's not going to be a trending topic. It's sort of not going to sort of pop up on someone's feed because it's not about um, Eric Ten Hag's shock transfer confession or who's going to replace Anthony on the right wing. It's not a compelling topic for a younger audience. So um, I think about 20 or 30 people tuned in to that video on Munich and the Busby Babes and I just thought a bit of a sad indictment in regards to sort of who i do want to be engaging with on um, youtube so i do think an audience on an audio only podcast would be a little bit more um i don't want to say excited or enjoy a chat around munich and busby babes but appreciate it a lot more so that that was almost the real turning point in my opinion in regards to changing my approach and sort of having these chats online so i definitely will bring those sort of chats around sort of munich busby babes past players looking at our history which um I do enjoy, and I know many of you will enjoy, but um, yeah, the younger generation on YouTube who we need to engage with there to grow, um, yeah, they definitely don't. Unfortunately, now, before I kick on with the show, I want to start each episode off with a little bit of a ritual and a bit of trivia. So I'll ask a question at the start of the show and revisit at the end of the show. And um, so to kick this one off, just a random question. Um, if you've got any, I send them through to me and I can sort of pose them to the listeners. But um, yeah, I'll ask this at the start and I'll revisit, I'll make sure I revisit at the end of the episode, so I'm something to mull over um, throughout the episode, but um, anyone who knows me lo- likes uh, knows that I like a sort of shirt number quiz in regards to looking back at a little bit of history on who wore this shirt or who wore that shirt, but, um, yeah, one that popped up with me, Amrabat. Um, Sofian Amrabat is our number four. Not that he plays too often this season, um, but Sofian Amrabat is our number four. Can you name all of our Premier League number fours? I have them in front of me. The six previous number fours. Um, is it when Premier League numbers came in before Sophie and Amrabat took over? So, have a think about that, and um, yeah, so I'll re- revisit that at the end and um, let you know because um, there's some names in there which um, definitely a bit of a blast from the past. So, um, yeah, have a think about that and um, enjoy the show. <music> So after all that, Manchester United have returned to the pitch and playing football and um, not playing football very well. So um, this first episode was supposed to also be sort of positive feelings and a feel-good vibe. However, Manchester United have done us dirty um, at 2 o'clock on a Sunday morning. So i um, have got Johnny here from Sydney. It's good to catch up with him. And, um, Jono, my first question to you in regards to the first review of Hated, Adored, Never Ignored, why on earth do we get up at this time and sort of sacrifice our sleep to... Sort of deal with the inevitable of disappointment supporting manchester united
1: all right thanks tom thanks for having me on it's a bit of a pleasure i like, like love talking about this this football club even though they don't often put the best performances in for us but to answer your question i feel like we just there's a passion deep down there that i think we have we have the hope and the desire that we, we may return to the, the Sarah alex days where we're lifting the premier league trophy the fa cup the champions league and we do it because we we love them and you know, through all the, the hardships that we've been over in the past few years, I feel like a strong result and a strong strong performance can always just lift the mood and get us excited for the next week. So, I feel like...
0: Well, the, the, the mood has been there in recent weeks. Now, we can yeah, discuss performances, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. But in regards to, I haven't looked yeah. at the form table. I would guess yeah. we're pretty high up on that form we table. we in recent yeah. weeks, and going into this match, some tricky ties there. We we're away at Aston Villa, away at Luton in regards to the way we view that stadium, and that's going to be a tough game because it's Manchester United in this small ground. And so we've gone into these tough environments and sort of, okay, the performances haven't been there, but had very good results. Here we are, Fulham at home. Now, yes, Fulham are a decent team in regards to, we'll get into maybe one or two of other individuals, and I've discussed Andreas Pereira at length in the past, and I'm just thinking, ultimately, yes, good Good football team professionals if we want to buy Paulinho, i'm assuming we're going to have to pay 50 or 60 million pound for him they're full of internationals but ultimately it is manchester united against fulham at old trafford but the the sad thing is it's kind of not a shock that we've been done by them
1: i think i think we've come to this like just this season it's we've had a few good results with we've kind of turned tides like a made a good save in the champions league and we we all thought that was going to be the turning point for the season where we beat Copenhagen and we go away, we go away to Galatasaray and we put what it was three great goals in. And then we can too late to, to lose. And then, you know, I feel that we're, we're going on good runs. We're showing that there is, there is some sort of clarity there in the team and what 10 Hag and what now what Ineos want to do, but there just comes to a point where it just feels like the game's going to come to us. We're not actually proactive in the game. We're not showing that the intent that we want and, Look, if you, in the Premier League there's there's no real easy games, and like these guys, they're they top class, world class footballers. They play on the biggest stage in the biggest league in the world. And if you're not on your A game, if you just drop off that slight little bit, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna pay the price. And I feel that's what what showed yesterday. And you know it doesn't really help having. I know we come to this like a lot of injuries. We're missing Hoyland, who's who's been our most influential player over the past few weeks. And you know when we're when we're not putting balls into the box when we're not providing service for the the top three, like can be quite difficult. And then inevitably you're going to, you're going to concede goals in the Premier League. And we just, we just did it yesterday. So... Well, it goes
0: to my first question, and we've discussed Eric ten, ten Hag off air a little bit, and we'll get into the specifics, a few specifics of the Fulham match in regards to the goals, etc. But But just on in regards to, as I've discussed earlier in this pod, in regards to the blame game, we, we always need a scapegoat as Manchester United fans either yeah. player or say it's this manager or it's sign this player and he'll fix it or it's the owner. We all, all need a scapegoat when things are bad. Yeah. Same performance last weekend's Luton, but we won. So it was okay. Same performance here, but we lose. So everything sort of gets brought to the light. Just in regards to, not that we're blaming anyone, but the blame game in in and around how the fan base sort of views these results, Eric Ten Hag or the players. Now I'm sitting here and while I'm trying to be positive, there is nothing but criticism directed at the players and the manager of this performance. It wasn't good enough. You can't hide from that. You can't sugarcoat it. However, I am a f- sort of look. I'm a big believer in Eric Ten Hag. I am going to stand by him, but he's not exempt from criticism. I think he got one or two things wrong. And ultimately, in terms of how. This, the season is going, it is failing. And ultimately, that, that sort of falls at the manager's doorstep. But in regards to this specific performance against Fulham, Eric Ten Hag or the players, because if you look online, and online is sometimes a good bromada, sometimes it's not. In regards to it, is Eric Ten Hag out at the moment? That is the feeling. I look at it though, and if someone wants to have that discussion, uh, I'll entertain it. um In regards to it, the season isn't going to plan, and Eric Ten Hag ultimately will be held responsible for that. But in regards to this performance, I see Casemiro misplacing five yard passes by 20 yards. I see Bruno Fernandes hitting balls into Rose Z when he's trying to pass it to someone's feet. I see just little things like that. And Marcus Rasher doing what Marcus Rasher is doing. This is not me throwing players under the bus. This is just me looking at professional football players not doing their basic job. Now, Eric Ten Hag is not going out saying, Kaz, can you try and overhit this pass to put it in a crowd? Bruno, can you be very wasteful today? I, w- I want to see how wasteful you can get. Eric Ten Hag is not giving those instructions. Now, we can look at some of the instructions Eric Ten Hag given and say, that's not good enough. This is criticism towards the manager, of course. But I really stand and look at that performance in, a, in an isolated figure and look, it, to me, it's on the players, that performance.
1: Totally. Um, I think you hit it nail on the head. I feel... Feel when you when you go onto Twitter or you go onto Instagram after a game and you see, Rashford did this, Bruno did that, Lindelof did this. Like there's always got to be that, that that scapegoat for United player, but you know it comes to the point where it just doesn't seem like there's cohesion with the team at some points. Like we see we see Garnacho and Rashford playing playing great balls, great passes one week and then. Not not saying being selfish, but then taking taking their man on themselves and shooting shooting more times the other week, and it just doesn't seem like there's a there's cohesion at some points. And whether that's to do with us not putting you know the same line out line lineup out every week, that that's not that that's not an excuse. And you're going to have injuries, you're going to have suspensions in the Premier League, but it just seems that there needs to be this, this element of cohesion, this element that everyone is on the same page, kind of thing. Um, and I don't I don't often say that enough and i feel like when we put great performances in um especially at everton I, I watched the everton match live i was there at goodison actually and i i saw that there was there was some sort of cohesion whether it was garnacho's goal that kind of led that it just seemed like everyone was kind of wanting the same thing on the same page and you know when you're not getting that and when you're not getting people looking at looking and feeling the same way it can often lead to just people putting in poor passes people making runs shooting from distance that that's not that's not that's not appropriate you know what i mean so i feel like there just needs to be that sort of idea that everyone's on the same page and i feel like you, really you talk well,
0: about cohesion there so to interrupt you but you talk about cohesion it's, sort of, it's a bit of a segue into my next point in regards to two of the big names in our team and they get a lot of the praise and they get a lot of the criticism that what comes with a high profile and highly paid players in football and especially Manchester United in around Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford now a huge criticism I have of or the credit the main criticism I have of Eric Ten Hag is a system thing in regards to no matter what midfield tree he puts out there we're very easily run through and I'm just thinking okay the midfield tree that I put out there they get run through the midfield tree that you put out there they get run through the midfield tree Eric Ten Hag prefers they get run through I'm thinking okay well these are different individuals this is must be some type of instruction thing that's failing so that is a criticism i use a very 10 Hag. however my sort of we've got a bit pretty big sample size now throughout the season it's now the end of february Mm. i'm looking at that's a defensive issue in regards to when we lose the ball okay we're not defending well enough in the middle of the park i'm starting to look at it and there could be anything look i'm not a manager at the the elite level so maybe a or i could tell me exactly why we're getting caught in transition so much just my lazy opinion looking at it I'm not blaming Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes, but you talk about the wavelength and cohesion, and I look at we're getting caught out defensively, but it's more so, I think, potentially an issue in regards to going forward and the way those two play the game. And can you afford to have two players like that? And we can get into the specifics of the sort of frustrations I have with Marcus Rashford and his defensive output. But in terms of the way he plays the game in sort of very risky in terms of he'll turn the ball over, Bruno Fernandes turns the ball over more than anyone. Now, yes, we know Bruno Fernandes can turn the ball over and score a hat-trick. That, that's the sort of the balance you do have to weigh up with Bruno Fernandes. But when you have both those plays in the team, when they get in that final third, or not, not even the final third. Bruno Fernandez will try a back heel in his own box if he wants to. But when you sort of got the ball in that those attacking areas, Bruno Fernandez and Marcus Rashford turn the ball over just so. Ch- and everyone turns the ball over. It's not just, that they're two sort of big names who sort of play every week. They're not, never going to be dropped. I'm just thinking Bruno Fernandez and Marcus Rashford. While they can be brilliant at times, they can be your match winners. They can be your best player on the day. They, they can be in that discussion. I also have a feeling they both of them. Can be a worse player, and I just think can Manchester United or Eric Ten Hag afford to have two of those sort of profiles in his team?
1: And you're you're talking about Marcus Rashford, player of the season last season. Bruno Fernandez, arguably one of the best signings, January signings we've made in in years. And yet we have had so many great, praiseful performances for them. Um, yet there's that argument, as you said, that are they are they really what suits maybe the future of United? You know what I mean? So. Well, I I just think that
0: in regards to you can make a case that there are, like, I don't at the moment in regards to the season's going. Marcus Rashford could be our best player. Bruno Fernandes could be our best player. But also on another day, there's a very strong case they're our worst player.
1: Yeah. And as you said, whether it comes from midfield and you brought up that point that they can often get run past in the midfield and defensively, but also offensively. And, you know, DNA of Manchester United, DNA of what, Supposedly, Eric Ten Hag plays. He he loves to play this this ball playing out of the back, and often defense is your greatest offense at sometimes. And that there needs to be a, a great balance between them. And when you when you get caught, then you don't find yourself um, you find yourself not running, not having runners there, not not having ball players in the midfield. Often you, you have people like Bruno who come who come into more defensive roles to take it off, and then you play you get some really wide abrupt passes from them or you can see Marcus can can drop quite deep sometimes often plays when he plays on the left he can come in at a really left back kind of position because we don't really have those players that come from the midfield for them but as you said they can often be maybe criticized as our as our worst players on 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 some days but I feel like that's the risk you get with those sort of players they're they're flair players they're players that love to have the ball they're players that love that those chance opportunities and Often when you don't get that and when you miss a few chances and you're known as that fair flair player, you can you can get quite heavily criticized. But you know, the next week when you get that chance and you put it in the top corner, it's it's just you you get praise for it. So I just feel like there's an element of huge inconsistency inconsistency in this team. And you know, once we find we thought we had some momentum, but once we find just that that settle down, we can we can really just put a team out there that Acts with a bit of cohesion. I feel like those chances might come more and more, and we feel like that they might take them more and more, if you know what I mean.
0: Just on those two players, and again, we talk about cohesion, and one of the sort of criticisms at the moment labeled at Eric Ten Hag is these inability to implement a style of play. And this is not me blaming Bruno Fernandes or blaming Marcus Rashford. So it's a team game, obviously made up of individuals. I'm not sort of pinning it all on them or all on Eric Ten Hag. It is a collective. But in regards to Marcus Rashford, now, yes, when he scores 25 goals a season, it's brilliant. Those individualistic traits he has can be a positive. Bruno Fernandes, when he racks up 30 or 40 goals and assists a season, those individual traits are fantastic. But in regards to implementing a style of play, in regards to, would Bruno Fernandes walk into the Manchester City team? No, he, Pep Guardiola would want a little, someone a little bit more structured. Rashford would want to, now he's brilliant on his day, but would he walk into that type of system? Maybe not. Marcus Rashford, yeah, can score goals, but is he going to keep the shape and keep the ball moving like a Jack Grealish or a Bernardo Silva sort of thing? Probably not. So in regards to implementing Eric Ten Hag, in terms of he's getting so much criticism for not implementing a style of play, is it at the hands of two high-profile players he can't really drop. Now, he can drop. He's dropped Cristiano Ronaldo, but we, we do know the sort of play power of uh, Captain Bruno Fernandes and the highly paid Marcus Rashford. Now, we can criticise Eric Ten Hag for that, but also let's just say he's stuck with these two sort of profiles he has to play. And um, as I said, on the day, they could be our best player. So, so you can understand Eric Ten Hag's sort of persistence with those type of players, but do you think, again, not blaming those two individuals, but with Eric Ten Hag might have more sort of success in implementing a style of play if he didn't have those two.
1: Look, you you you, you say it that there, there's been a bit of criticism over Ten Hag over the past season, um, that there there is no clear style of play. Um, you just look back to last season where we played some really good games against Barcelona in the Europa League and played some really good Premier League matches and you can often see we... We hold the ball back, we, we let teams come and then we can we can count on them quite quickly. And that's where you get players like Bruno Fernandez and Marcus Rashford. Um, and like there was that clear style of play against Luton and we won um a couple of weeks ago. But talk around Eric Ten Hag is that he's a Dutch manager. He he, he speaks about himself. He wants proactive, high pressing football and, and sometimes we don't we just clearly don't see that at all. We get we get run through the midfield, our our defence can be shocking sometimes, but Look, it, it really comes to like I see I think next season is gonna be a big season for us with first full season under Ineos. And look, I, I think Sir Jim Ratcliffe even said himself in like a BBC interview this week that they're gonna they're gonna implement the style of play and we're gonna see how the manager works from there. He didn't give a clear answer whether, you know, he he's gonna say he's gonna keep Ten Hag or get rid of him, but he said he said that the manager over the past ten years have have not been good at all. And that... They've they've shown glimpses that of hope, but overall it's been it's been shocking, and the results proved that for themselves. Um, so it's just going to be really interesting to see that we've got we've got a group coming in, a group of high profile individuals um, who know how to run sports, um, and know a big kind of a big big business in general. I'm not going to call Manchester United a business, but that's what we've kind of seen it over the past few years. But we've got high profile individuals that going to know and are going to show some leadership in, in Sir Jim and Sir, Dim, Sir Dave Brailsford. Hopefully we can come in and just see that they're going to implement this style of play. We've got a new CEO, we've got a new sporting director coming in and I feel I feel that's quite a quite a clear path. And Look, if we don't see a clear style of play within the next, you know, 6 to, six to 18, 12 months, I know that's a long time we can say we can sit here and say, oh, I'll be good in the next 12 months, but, you know, if we don't see one and we don't, we don't see this, this style of play that we know the Manchester United DNA is. I feel like we can then come to this point where maybe Eric Ten Hag might not be the manager for Manchester United in the future. But
0: well, you know, where do you sit on, of- a, on a confidence scale in, in around that? No, not, not your preference, just in regards to how the evidence we have so far and what you think might occur with new sign ins or new, new ownership sort of thing. How confident are you? Because at the moment, Look at you like Erich Ten Hag, I like Erich Ten Hag. So he both of us are fully behind the manager and supportive, but the evidence we have at the moment, he hasn't really now I know there was very good football last season at times, but in regards to what we expected from Ajax and what our we expect from Manchester United, and you combine those two, he is failing. Now, is it all his fault or is it the players' fault? That is obviously a discussion. But at the moment, Erich Ten Hag isn't able to do that. How confident are you that in as say six months, twelve months time, he will be able to? Because at the moment, as much as I like him. He hasn't shown it.
1: I, I agree with you, but he's got players who have played under Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, who have played under Jose Mourinho, who who have played this notoriously counter-attacking style of football, who sit back yeah. defensively and play this. And look, our team needs a, a massive rebuild. Like there are at least five or six players in that starting lineup last night who who we can say maybe one day like we can say on, on on a particular day, oh, they played really well, but on another day we can say that they're, you know, they're they're not what Manchester United need. And look, it, an example of that is playing L- Victor Lindelof at left back. We don't we just mm-hmm. we don't have the style of, like the players to play this style of play. That I feel like Ten Hag really wants to. We're we're missing key players like Lissandro Martinez, Luke Shaw. Who, who were the who were the backbone of that of that Manchester United team under Eric Ten Hag. We've seen it. We saw some really good performances when Lissandro came back and, you know, Luke Shaw when when they've got that left-sided partnership. And that's just a glimpse of, to show that there, there is this style that he can actually implement and play. It's just, I feel like it's been just quite difficult as Eric Ten Hag's mentioned himself about financial fair play and about how many plays of contract we can get off in the summer and this and that. But, you know, it's... There is, there is, there is, there is a lot of hope there, and I'm confident if if there is this rebuild at the top, give Eric Ten Hag 12, 12 more months. I feel like there there is a big possibility that he could be the mayor, mayor moving forward. You saw it last season; he played great football. This season, we've been really, really inconsistent, and there are points where we're allowed to criticise him. We're allowed to criticise the. The things that he comes on with the the players the substitutions but you know when when he gets a squad that's 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 fit that's that's um that's full of his style of players i feel like there is there is that opportunity where it could confidently say that his time at manchester you know it could be it could be a success yes
0: Fing, fingers crossed that is the case now just a last bit on that now again we're sort of Probably, thankfully, we haven't touched too much on the specifics of the Fulham defeat in regards to... I have tried to quickly erase it from my memory. This has sort of been a a general review rather than the 90 minutes, but just in and around that style of play because that is a huge discussion. One of my big defences, and again, that is a very valid criticism of Eric Ten Hag in and around his inability so far to do it. But one of my defences of that is in and around... And look, he has spent a lot of money. Just look at Anthony and the criticisms that come with that. Of course, he is sort of culpable for for, for many of those issues that the squad is currently facing. But I do look at other individuals, and again, this is not pinning sort of blame on them, but you look at, let's say, Harry Maguire. Now, I think Harry Maguire's had a decent enough season by his standards, but ultimately, Eric Ten Hag was happy to move Harry Maguire on. So is he his player um, to suit Eric Ten Hag's style? Probably not. You look at Raphael Varane, as brilliant as Raphael Varane is. Raphael Varane coming towards the end of his career with his injury issues. Is he someone, while he's a great professional and will 100% listen to a manager like Eric Ten Hag? Is Rafael Ryan someone who you're going to implement a new style with? Who's playing one way for the last 10, 15 years. Is he going to come in at this stage of his career and sort of really sort of buy into this sort of new system? Maybe not. Same with Casemiro Um, in terms of his age, his profile. He's done it all in the game. Not to say he's not a great professional, but in regards to is he someone to sort of change his style and he's not Frankie de Jong in the way he plays the game. He's a very good footballer, but he's not that. So is Casemiro, while is. I thought it was a good sign-in to the business side of things. You can definitely look at that to say it wasn't the greatest With- sign-in, but is, is he someone who's going to come in and sort of adapt his style of play? Bruno Fernandes, With- which is one or two more players there, Bruno Fernandes, in regards to the brilliant individual traits he has, a huge negative is also his individual traits where he just runs off like headless chicken. Now, that can be good at times where he can win the ball, but in terms of a system... Are you going to sort of take that away from Bruno Fernandes? That's what makes Bruno, it makes him very frustrating, but it also makes him brilliant at times. So I think are you going to rein that in from a play like that? Probably not. And he's your captain, he's going to play. So that doesn't really hurt your system, doesn't really help your system. Then you've got Marcus Rashford, who can score you 20 goals, but he's very individual in terms of the way he plays. So I'll go through sort of key members of this squad and just think in regards to implementing a style of play, probably the only two sort of signings that, Sort of fitting with moving in a, in a Erik Ten Hag direction is Andre Onana, which we can discuss the goalkeeper side of his game at the moment. But you can understand the arrival there, and our best football player does come with Alessandro Martinez. But those other key figures in that spine of the team of your Raphael Varane, Harry Maguire, Casemiro, Bruno Fernandez, Marcus Rashford, again, all take criticisms. But I just don't think it's really befitting of Erik Ten Hag trying to implement a style, and that's not to sort of um, wipe him from criticism. Uh, Erik Ten Hag does deserve criticism, but. It's a bit of a harder challenge, in my opinion, than just what Ange has to do at Spurs or Deservey has to do at Brighton. Yeah.
1: It's and you've got the pressure of the biggest football club in the world behind you as well. You've got people who don't believe in you, you've got people who do believe in you. And look, I, you mentioned a few of those signings, and I can I can name a few more, such as Johnny Evans, and we've got Christian Eriksen and, and Casemiro. These these signings, these are characteristics of of quick quick fixes, quick fixes to mm. try and get some short term solutions. Not nothing really long-term-wise, you know what I mean? And it might have to be, you know, us us getting a few terrible results just to try and, like, in in in, in this season with young players coming up, just to try and propel them to, to achieve goodness, greatness next season. You, you just don't know, like, the way, because we, we don't work at Manchester, you know, we're not a part of the inner sanctum of the football club, but we can only speculate kind of what's happening and what's going on around. And we don't know what, what the message is. We don't know what the feeling's like. Um, we can only just sit here, make comments and un, like try and try and just understand and um, feel what's going on around the football club. And I feel that you mentioned that style of play. He, he brings in arguably what well, you could say, our, our best our signing of the season, Rasmus Hoyland, correct. And he, he looks like like a gem in the making. He's he's, he's he's a raw talent, but you've got to try and bring someone in alongside him who can who can play, who can be fit. Like you just can't rely on a on a 20 year old to score you 15 15 to 20 league goals a season. It's it's not going to work like that. So we just see these these really short term fixes and not really some sort of long term long term vision yet. And I, I really crossed, hope that changes under Indios.
0: Yeah, definitely. See, I, I agree with everything you say there and everything I just said in regards to, okay, this player he brought in or these players he has, I can say, that okay, that's sort of hurting Eric Ten Hag. Then I can say from his point of view, well, he's brought in Anthony and yeah. the, the, the money that's spent and, and that sort of works against him. So it is a bit of a balance in regards to weighing up everything and where the criticism does lie. But um, ultimately, um, it's not going well enough. Now, we just quickly before we wrap up, um, we'll move quickly on from form. Unfortunately, it was a disastrous result, disastrous performance. Manchester United and the rest of their season, in my opinion. Even, look, I've sort of made many enemies on Twitter uh, over the last couple of months in regards to, I'll gladly take a sort of 12th or 15th place finish if we win the FA Cup. Uh, I definitely weigh um, trophies over top four, but we can discuss the top four in future pods. But the season for me does hinge on the FA Cup. Now, yes, very likely we won't win the FA Cup. I'm aware of that. There are other good teams in there. Um, We still have to play them. But at the moment, we have Forrest away.
1: Um
0: Tricky tie. Now we can win a for us. We have done that before. We have lost there. Um, it will be a tricky tie, but Manchester United can go through. Give me your sort of bit of a confidence rating and also um, where you value this top four FA
1: Cup. Um, Manchester United's the biggest football club in the world. We've got to be playing Champions League football. We've got to be up there with the greatest, and you know we haven't had enough of that over the past past ten years. Um, I still have hope that we can either finish fifth or fourth, um, especially fifth with this UEFA coefficient. We could we could be making Champions League football, but we can't rely on that. We feel like we've as as Eric can. Looks like it might
0: need a situation where we finish yeah. like fifth and we have to need City to win the Champions League or something.
1: Yeah, something like that, uh, which is which is not ideal, but mm. you know, um, I feel that. We've we've got to treat every game like it's a final, and you know we we saw that yesterday. We, we didn't really. We, we were sloppy. We were like this, and we we got to move on from that. But my confidence rating, I feel, feel we can go go far in the FA Cup. We have the experience last year. We were in the final. Um, we've just we've just got to be, beat the best to be the best. Um, we've got to beat City. We've got to beat Liverpool to try and to try and do that. And whether or not you think we can, or um, I, I certainly think we can on our day, but. Balancing that, we've we've got to go find that. I agree; it's a huge competition for us, and our season does rely upon it. But you know, as I said to you before, off air, Spurs have got to play Villa. Villa have got to play City. Spurs have got to play City. Do you think they've both got to play Liverpool mm-hmm. as well? Anything's up. Anything's up for grabs at the top, really. And I feel like with this season, anything can happen. A couple injuries to Spurs. A couple injuries to Villa. You never know. A couple results don't go their way. A couple results go our way. I feel with what is it? Maybe few 13, 13 or twelve games left in the season, something like around that. Around that, yeah. Yeah, around that. Like anything can happen and what's up for grab is 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 points galore. the law. And if we can make a run and we can just show some intent, um, I feel like we can we can make that fifth or fourth spot. It's looking a bit more difficult from yesterday, but mind that with potentially an FA Cup trophy and I feel like as wouldn't be I'm not gonna say it was a successful season from probably where we where we viewed our points at the end of last season. But from where we are now, I feel the majority of United fans would take that for sure.
0: No, 100%. Agree with that. Now, as I said, on the debut episode of Hated Adored, Never Ignored, I was hoping to review a win. Uh, Manchester United had a, a sort of different view of things. So unfortunately, we've had to sort of come on here and have a bit of a negative chat. Um, not negative chat, but... Um, good constructive yeah, chat, it, that's for sure. Yeah, that, that, that's how I'd view it. So, um, fingers crossed next week against Forest, and then obviously we've got the Manchester Derby to review at some stage as well, which it could be another chat like this. Who knows? But, um, Johnny, pleasure joining joining me, mate.
1: Thanks. Tom, appreciate it. It's good chat. Good fun. Hopefully, we can get a W next week. Mm-hmm.
0: just want to wrap up this first episode looking at Sir Jim Ratcliffe's quotes because, look, to be honest, a Manchester United owner hasn't spoken to its fans in the best part of two decades. Now, some could say it's a very easy win by Sir Jim Ratcliffe. It's the least he could do. But, yeah, it is the least he could do. It's very polite. And he's come through and addressed the fans and answered all the questions in terms of a lot of journalists who were in the room and um, a lot of different platforms. And he spoke to them and sort of answered some tough questions and put his views forward so I just thought one it is good we'll discuss anyway even if this was Joel and Avram Glazer we'll definitely discuss it but here we are this is the first time in two decades this has happened so there is a little bit of excitement one just from simply sort of hearing from an owner but also actually the excitement of what potentially is ahead for Manchester United because there is no doubt there's still a long way to go Um, whether you wanted guitar or whether you wanted to Jim, there was going to be an upturn Um, if we start getting people making football decisions just naturally that is better than what the Glazers have been doing so there is excitement on many levels so i thought i'd just look at one or two quotes and uh, one or two questions posed to him and just said i won't go through the whole thing there's about an hour's worth of footage there but just one or two um, interesting topics that did definitely catch the eye but he's obviously he was asked about the the sort of the scale uh, of the challenge ahead and it was interesting, just because I think that's the—it's it's not a direct question, which we'll get into the Mason Greenwood stuff and recruitment and Eric Ten Hag. But just in regards to a generic sort of area of discussion around Sir Jim Ratcliffe and the purchase—is what's on his doorstep? What's he getting himself into, and how can he get Manchester United back to where they need to be? But he said he has clearly been—it um, has clearly been a difficult eleven years since Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill retired. I'm not switching a light switch. It's not just a simple short-term fix. We have to walk around. Well, sorry, we have to walk to the right solution, not run to the wrong one. I really like that because look at Manchester United's transfer dealings in the past. We have gone for so many short fixes, um, sort of quick fixes and big money transfers, which do look exciting at the time. But then you sort of take a step back and say, hang on, why are we doing this? This is really going to work out in the long term. So I do believe that quote there in regards to we have to walk to the right solution, not run to the wrong one, um, is quite a i like it well done sir jim that's a tick in my box there but he also says the short-term issue is we want to get into the champions league it's a two to three season challenge to get the organization and environment right to get the performances on the field right and to win football matches that involves the design and structure of the organization being correct in that last 11 years at manchester united have had a lot of coaches and nobody has been very successful in that environment That says to me there is something wrong with the environment. It's not constructive for me to blame anyone. It's just a fact. My focus is on how I change the environment to get the best out of the coach and the squad. And look, I think we as fans sort of dissect all this information and quotes, whether it be Sir Jim Ratcliffe or whether it be Eric Ten Hag or whether it be Fabrizio Romano, whoever puts any sort of news out there, we dissect it so much, of course. I think it's very, very simple with Sir Jim Ratcliffe there. Well, we could sort of make heads or tails of what he's saying there, but also, yeah, it's just in regards to it hasn't been working. Something needs to change. I'll work out what needs to change, and, and I'll do my best to deliver that. So some could say it's an easy win for him to come out and say that, and um, what else could he say? But um, as I said, I go back to just praising him for the fact that, now we shouldn't be praising an owner for talking to their fans. It should be quite standard. But as I said, we haven't seen it for two decades. So when something like this does happen, Um, Yeah, just a little bit of excitement there, but I'll go on to one or two other um, talking points he does have. He says, in regards to the recruitment on and off the field, he he was quizzed on that. And he says, ultimately, the level we want Manchester United to, to get to is not the level we are at. That takes time. It's not just about players. It's the whole machine. There are thousands of people in that machine, and we need to get that machine working really well. We need to be as good as anyone else in the game at recruitment. We haven't been financial fair play is a new element in football, and we um, and a really important part of managing a football club well. We will assess how much money we have available and we'll use it well. We have to find the best people in the world, ensure they have the right character, personality, create the right environment for elite sports people to be successful. All we're doing is trying to drive the performance on the pitch. And, yeah, I think a lot of us do look at recruitment. And when we talk about recruitment in regards to Manchester United and football, we talk about transfers. We talk about big money sign-ins or, yeah, yeah, transfers. We will get to that stage, but the recruitment so far has been off the field. And it does look like, look, without them doing any work at Old Trafford yet, it does look like the right appointments. Whether we knew them six weeks ago, probably not. But you just have to look at their body of work and say, okay, Omar Barada, he knows exactly what he's doing um you just have to look at the machine at manchester city dan ashworth has obviously has done very well um, with england with brighton with newcastle so the recruitment so far and obviously Sir jim hasn't been able to sign any plays but what he's had available to for him to recruit he has done well so that only in my opinion does give me sort of plenty of hope for the future for what he can do on the field now i thought this was always going to be addressed at some stage to Sir jim ratcliffe but i found it interesting in regards to how much it was pushed on him in that sort of media briefing but he was quizzed quite heavily On Mason Greenwood and look let's not get into a huge Mason Greenwood debate I'm sure we'll revisit that in more detail in the coming weeks and coming months but um, again I think it's quite a straightforward answer by Sir Jim Ratcliffe I think it's a very political answer but as I said in terms of the way we consume all this content and, and sort of dissect all the interviews you could definitely sort of make a case that he's definitely taken a different approach to the one the club um, took all those months ago. Now, ultimately, you could say the club took the approach to bring Mason Greenwood back and then backflipped on that, but ultimately it the, it eventuated in Mason Greenwood leaving the club. I'll give you um, Sir Jim Ratcliffe's quotes here on Greenwood, and while I do think it is straightforward and my ultimate hunch is nothing will change in regards to his decision, you could definitely make a case that Sir Jim is opening the door. But he says, we need to look at the facts, judge fairly, and take into consideration what the values of the club are then we can come out of that with a decision. It's not appropriate for me to comment on Mason Greenwood. He also goes further, and I think this is, again, opening, not a can of worms, but um, you could definitely define it as such. I can talk about the principle. I'm not going to talk about Mason. I'm familiar with it. The principle is the important one. We will have other issues going forwards. You are dealing with young people who have not always been brought up in the best circumstances, who have a lot of money, and they don't always have the guidance that they should have. What we need to do... When we have issues like this is understand the real effects, not the height. Then we need to make a fair decision in the light of the club's values. That's what we need to do and how and how we will deal with it. And that's, in that paragraph there, you can definitely make a case. He definitely opens the door for Mason Greenwood in terms of planting a seed, in terms of he might have had a difficult upbringing. We need to sort of take that into consideration and that definitely opens the door but then he talks about Manchester United and the club's values. And obviously Mason Greenwood is sort of very far from the club's values um, in that aspect. So it's almost like he shut the door again. So he says, yes, we'll make a decision and we'll we'll justify it. It'll be a fresh decision uh, that Manchester United do make. And again, I do believe that is to move Mason Greenwood on, but yeah, the the door is definitely open. I'm not going to get into a huge Mason Greenwood discussion now. As I said, we will sort of address that when confirmation is made, but... um, it is something big on Sir Jim's doorstep. And um, I do think it'll eventually, with Mason Greenwood leaving the club, but um, it is going to revisit itself. Obviously, he is doing well in Spain. I'm very firm in my desire to move him on from Manchester United. I don't want to see him play for Manchester United. And it's it's not even about the, the incident. It's about what's best for Manchester United. I'm a firm believer the bringing him back and bringing that circus back in terms of what that will bring off the field. I don't think that helps Manchester United. I don't think that helps Mason Greenwood. I don't think that helps his partner and his, and his young child. And I'm selfish and I want the best for Manchester United. And I don't think bringing him back does that. But look, a lot of people and a lot of people I respect do want him back. So um, yeah, we'll revisit that topic in um, a few weeks, I'm sure of it. And just the last bit, um, as we could sort of go into all these topics in great detail, do a whole podcast on themselves, but he has talked about Old Trafford and it was almost a huge part. He's quizzed on this sort of on the street as well um, a couple of days after this interview came out. But um, very interesting because that is Mason Renwood is a big topic, of course, but at Manchester United's core, Old Trafford is our home and um, it definitely needs needs addressing. So, in regards to him talking about Old Trafford, he goes, if you look at our role with Manchester United, there are two key issues we have to address. One is the football, which is the performance on the field, which is always going to be our priority with Manchester United. But the second one, the second big issue really in the club, which a lot of people talk about and are conscious of, is where the stadium sits today. I mean, it's an impressive stadium. Um, it's the largest in the Premier, it's the largest Premier League stadium in the country, the second largest stadium in the country to Wembley, I suppose. But it's not quite at the standard you would expect Manchester United today, and it's fallen behind maybe 20 years ago. But today, it's fallen behind. We do need to look at the way forward for the stadium, the redevelopment of the stadium. And there are clearly two roads we could take. We we could refurbish the existing stadium or we could look at building a new stadium. And that's where we're looking at at the moment. So again, you go back to the Mason Greenwood quotes and however you interpret that, you could say he's coming back or he's not coming back. And this one with Old Trafford, you could definitely read those quotes as Sir Jim wants to build a new stadium or Sir Jim wants to refurbish Old Trafford. Um, it definitely does depend how you interpret it. My main takeaway from that is... It's on the agenda, and that is a good thing. Whatever we prefer as fans, do you prefer Old Old Trafford to stay there or do you prefer to knock it down and build a new stadium? Whatever our preference is, whatever Sir Jim's preference is, whatever the end result will be, something will happen. And obviously nothing has happened in 20 years. Like Literally nothing has happened in 20 years. They've moved a few season ticket holders. That's pretty much all they have done. So ultimately it is on the agenda, and it looks high on the priority list for Sir Jim to deal with, and that is ultimately a good thing. My opinion changes every day as things stand today i am probably and i will disagree with myself tomorrow tomorrow i'm going to wake up and have a different opinion but where i sit today i'm not opposed to reducing the capacity at old trafford maybe taking the top tiers down and using it as an academy stadium and the women's stadium and then build a new stadium next door uh, a new old trafford that is where i do sit at the moment um I said i could wake up tomorrow and say not just refurbish old trafford I, that is the fickle nature of myself and manchester united fans but um at least something is happening because, as I said, nothing has happened in 20 years, and um, that's exciting. We do need transfers. Well, we do need trophies. We do need all things on pitch because um, we are Manchester United Football Club, but Old Trafford is our home, and um, it definitely does need a bit of a coat of paint, you, you could say. So, um, yeah, positive things there for him Sir Jim Ratcliffe. As a probably very easy win for him PR-wise, come out and talk to the fans. Um, he got one up on the Glazers in no time, but he did it, and I think he's given us fans... Um, some optimism and by god um we definitely do need a little bit of optimism at the moment as manchester united fans it is not all doom and gloom if he can sink his teeth into this club fingers crossed um we are back in a little bit to where manchester united need to be and that is um top of the table winning premier league trophies and winning champions league trophies and um fingers crossed that is the case So cast your mind back to the start of the episode where I gave you a trivia question. Um, that will be, hopefully, a recurring theme throughout this podcast. I'll open with a trivia question, and as we come to the end of the show, I'll give you that answer. Probably, I, I'm guessing most of you probably got this. Is maybe one name you did forget, but there are six number fours before Sophie and Amrabat took over the number, so um, you've probably been mulling over it. But the six number fours are Steve Bruce, obviously, club captain in that, that first Premier League season. David May was to take over Steve Bruce in the number four shirt. After that, might sort of get a few people off guard. One, Sebastian Varon. He took over the number four shirt. Then this is the one I think a lot of people might potentially forget. Is, um, and it was a bit of a fan, fan favourite of mine, especially what he did at Highbury, just going around elbowing people for 90 minutes. But that is obviously the Argentine, Gabriel Heinzer. Owen Hargreaves was the next after that, and obviously then Phil Jones on to Amrabat. So, yeah, the number four is before Sofian Amrabat took over. Steve Bruce, David May, one, Sebastian Varon, Gabriel Heinzer, Owen Hargreaves, and Sir Philip of Jones. So, um, yeah, hopefully you got something out of that. As I said, there will be a trivia question every week. Now, I just want to sort of, as I said, I told you what I want to achieve with this podcast in the coming months, years, however long it may be. But, um, yeah, hopefully you did enjoy that. Hopefully um, you join us for the next episode. If you want to get involved, if you want to review a match, preview a match, as I said, talk about a trip to Old Trafford, talk about your favourite player, talk about... A certain topic that won't get the views on youtube you want to talk about the redevelopment of old traffic you want to talk about issues with the ticketing system if you're a match going fan etc all these things um do get in touch so if you do want to get involved just drop us a message on instagram or twitter at tom mufc8 any topics you want to discuss um, in regards to your preview match review match um talk about as said old traffic talk about mason greenwood talk about a past player talk about the busby babes talk about a trip to old trafford any fan stories or just sort of meet up at the pub one day in terms of we can get a few of us local here in sydney and just put the phone down in the middle of the table and just randomly talk about whatever comes up manchester united related so do get involved hopefully you did enjoy this first episode um of hated adored never ignored and um yeah it will be a weekly occurrence on a tuesday morning um sydney time monday night in the uk but um i do appreciate everyone tuning in now could you Here we are like i said in regards to one of the things you always have to do on youtube get everyone to like the videos share the video comment on the video etc all i'm asking you to do you are holding your phone now because that's what you're listening to me on whatever your podcast app does allow whether it be a star rating or a review etc could you just do that for us that they'll sort of get the ball rolling for the podcast and get it out to people hopefully a good review and hopefully a five-star rating if that does allow but um yeah, any interaction with that on the podcast would help it go a long way. And then we do that once, then we can get it over and done with, and then nothing but Manchester United chat. So hopefully you all enjoyed that. Fingers crossed we can get the job done against Forest. And then we Yeah, look ahead to a, a quite quite a tough test. Um away at the Eddie Had. Is that the next game? I believe that's the next game. Maybe that might be wrong. I'm pretty sure the next test after Nottingham Forest is away at the Eddie Had. Oh my God, that is gonna be a test. So um that'll be a fun review after that but um I said enjoy your week wherever you are hopefully this you enjoy this on your trip to work or trip back home from work or your morning walk etc but um yeah, Manchester and I will be back one day hopefully one day in the near future but we'll be back um, until then have a good one and we'll chat to you soon cheers.